Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Lonely Among Us. And I felt really lonely among no one on my couch as I was watching this again this morning to get ready for this show. Um, I didn't feel like inviting anybody over <laughs> to watch this episode. Um, we have we, we've multiplied uh, the Jason factor on this episode because joining us is is uh, another Jason, and I feel like we need to come up with with something to differentiate the two of us. But but thank you for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me. I mean, you could just call me like Cool Jason or like, you know, I mean, Jason Prime. I was going to say Jason Prime. Not the first Jason. Jason. Yeah, but I'm the second Jason, so that doesn't make sense. <laughs> hmm. Does one of you currently have a goatee? Because then we could call you Evil Jason. Right. Uh, kind of. I got a beard. I think we'll just over here. I was going to say, I mean, in <laughs> reference Jason. in reference to the episode where there's a there's a duplicate Riker uh, many, many seasons on from now, we could just call you Tom. <laughs> Listen, Even, that's not your name. I know that works for me. <laughs> uh, I'm in. All right, thanks. I for might me. forget the answer to that, but I will uh, do my best. What if there's dead air? It'll just be like, is there another person on the call called Tom? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thanks for joining us <laughs> for, for this discussion. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> we. Um, th- this episode has there's two things going on within this episode. I think there's th- this is like a more traditional a plot b plot episode um as opposed to some of the the shows that we've talked about which seem to have like an a plot b plot c plot and then a bunch of other crap happening in the background uh this one's this one's pretty straightforward the enterprise is picking up delegates from a star system that has two habitable planets those two planets are filled with like lizard people and i don't know bear people i don't know is that is that what we were I think that's with? what we Dog. decided on calling them. Yeah. Yeah. Dog people also work, yeah. <laughs> and they're taking them to a peace conference at a planet that they've decided to call Parliament, which I'm sure someone in the writer's room thought that was a really good idea. Um, Is that... Uh, I, I miss that. Is that really what... I, I mean, I missed that while I watched the episode. I thought they were taking them to a Parliament. No. The planet was actually called Parliament? The planet was called Parliament. Oh. <laughs> Yep. We are to deliver these delegates to this sector's neutral conference planet called Parliament in the hope their dispute can be resolved. And then we're going to stop at Burger King planet. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to stop at Moonbase Whopper. Um, <laughs> and so they, on the way there, they encounter a cloud of mystery stuff. They make some scans and they wind up picking up a stranger made of pure energy and this entity has the ability to inhabit various members of the crew and that's the central part of the the episode so you have these two different things happening at the same time the crew's trying to juggle these two species that are going to this this conference who like they're the worst people to bring to a peace conference i would just like to point this out the antikins and the Soleil, i think is what they're they're called right um they hate each other like hate each other (laughs) and i kept thinking the whole time the whole premise of this episode was not only to get them to like each other, but also to get them into the Federation. They are both the worst candidates for Federation like acceptance, right? Like they just yeah. How how low is the bar? At this point? <laughs> I kind of I found myself wondering that same thing. Theoretically, after spending five minutes with these people, I would think they'd be like Captain's Log. Nope. On to the next you know prospect for membership. I mean, one of them literally wants to eat the other one. <laughs> that seems like. That would be a hard thing to get over. And I mean, I think... Even that part. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a specific bylaw for it, but you would think that would be somewhere in the Federation Charter. Look, member planet uh, races can't eat each other. Sorry. Like, that's just a thing. But, you know... Might no. be part of the Prime Directive. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, don't eat other species. Like... I mean, when you Even say... Even if they look like a tasty snake. So the, this... Yeah, the episode has the, the two main things that are going on is is this mystery of the of the cloud that they pass that has the, the energy being in it. And then more of the B-plot and more like the comedy laugh line kind of stuff is, is relegated to the to the two alien species. I was going to say, it's weird because I haven't seen this one in a long time. And when I first started watching it, it they really kind of trick you. Um because at the beginning, they really seem to prop up the two alien races as the A plot. 
Right. Um, and then later it's like, oh, I guess that's the B plot that, that I mean, spoiler, that never gets resolved. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and realistically, they never make any progress on it. Yep. They just bring these guys on board, put them in rooms, and then they occasionally fight with each other. And, and at the end of the episode, they're still just there. And I so. don't think any of that is, I, I mean, I don't think that's by design. I think that's by accident in the process of making this episode. Yeah. Um, because it just seems like this is another, I mean, at this point, classic season one episode that just, it, they, they're not quite sure the direction they're going to take. Uh, seemingly, even while they're, while the episode is in progress, it just, you know, maybe they were writing it that way for, for dramatic purposes, but it comes across as a little aimless because um, those, the, by the end of it, I was like, why are the Antikins in the Soleil even here? Right? Like, what are they doing? Filling, they're filling 15 minutes of airtime. Yep, that's true. An hour is a lot of programming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Enterprise is just a space taxi for these guys. Like, from what I've gleaned, it seems like they are probably, like, it seems like uh, at least the Sealy for sure uh, can do have starships, but maybe that the uh, Antikins don't. That's kind of oh. what I've gleaned from. I, well, I'm also I've got some inside baseball, like where I actually read a little bit more about these guys, and that seems to be the case. So I, I don't know. If I don't know how they have this in, intense hatred for each other if one of them isn't even you know in space yet. But yeah, Burns, I don't know if you saw the picture that that uh, that Jason sent earlier of the the. I'm sorry, the, Tom. That Tom sent. Oh, that Tom sent earlier of uh, of the <laughs> what was it? Uh, I, I like Tom. The officers' I mean, log from like 1988 that had pictures and descriptions of these these two races yeah because they clearly like if somebody went to the effort to to even write up that much they put yeah. some thought into it but none of yeah. that really translates to the episode that we wind up with yeah um the <laughs> i wanted to mention a little bit about um their their portrayal of these species because the the hairy ones the like the dog people um <laughs> like they go out of their way to make them super carnivores like not just regular carnivores but they like they have these weird lines in there where they talk about having to beam over their animals which they keep live and slaughter themselves and there's a there's a scene where Riker actually gets to explain to these people how you know Federation folk enjoy meat Lieutenant Yar was confused we no longer enslave animals for food purposes. But we have seen humans eat meat. You've seen something as fresh and tasty as meat, but inorganically materialized out of patterns used by our transporters. <laughs> and this episode brought to you by the Pork Council. Like, <laughs> just like... My, my read on it, my read on it was that it was a missed opportunity for repli replicator brand. I can't believe it's not meat. Right? <laughs> I can't believe it's space spam. Space spam. <laughs> so you're basically like, yeah, we have hamburgers. You just, you know, we replicate them, and that seems so simple, but ugh. yeah. And, and so. <laughs> what becomes more the driver of this episode is is the the being that they pick up from from the cloud and that's kind of a cool idea like so they pass by this cloud in space um they make a scan and it happened it, it just like coincidentally enough Jordy and Worf happen to be in the sensor bay doing routine maintenance um while this is happening and we get to see Worf let out one of the most comically awesome screams uh, <laughs> yep. in Star Trek, like as he's infested <laughs> by the thing. <laughs> and he comes too. And then what I always like about episodes like this, and it's not even necessarily Star Trek. It can be um, Twilight Zone. It can be anything where there's like this this body snatcher, you know, pod people kind of a they're not themselves uh, thing. Is how oblivious everyone is to the fact that people are quite obviously acting totally bonkers. Yep. Like, especially Crusher, because in the sequence of events, Worf gets sick, 
gets infested with Thing. He doesn't carry it for very long, and Beverly winds up getting infected next when she's wearing the 24th century equivalent of the Oculus Rift on her head, which I thought was... <laughs> Yeah, turbo. Weird. I, thought, I thought Google Glass thing was awesome. But... Oh yeah, probably Google Glass. Yeah, good call. Um, she, she like immediately the person who's right next to Doctor Crusher when she gets infected is the one person who you'd be like she could pick up on what's going on. Troy saunters in right, and yep. she's like, "Hey, how's Worf doing?" Uh, oh, he's or no, even more than that. Like, oh, Worf is completely normal. Which, how does Troy know that just by looking at him? But okay, um, and she responds with, "Yes, normal. Are you all right? Yes, perfectly. Both of us quite normal now." Can you tell me where the human bridge is? <laughs> and she, like, she even has that reaction with with Wes later, yes. like, right? Like, there she... are so many people who could have like totally stopped this. Yes, right. Yeah, and and I think when it, it's when she gets to the bridge, right, that like Date is watching her, and Date is like, "Huh, that's really weird that you would be like in sensor controls or something." And she's like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, and he's just like, and he's like. Okay, I'll just leave you to it. Yeah, I mean, she's touching the console even. Like, she's yeah. never seen it before. Like, what is this thing? Yeah, and then they, and it's like, that's normal. When they're troubleshooting, <laughs> they're like, oh, somebody must have screwed with this stuff. And Data just like, yep, somebody must have done that. Like, <laughs> no one, they, they're, there's so many dots that can be connected that they just, they, they do not get connected. Yeah, I think you're right. Troy holds a big share of that. I think Data holds the most, but Troy is definitely on the yeah. line. Yeah, because he literally, the, yeah, the, I think the line is like he looks over and he says something to the effect of like, interesting, doctor, what does what does helm control have to do with medical cross checks? And it's like data, nothing. You know that already. Like, <laughs> it it appears you're taking control of the bridge. Would you like some help? <laughs> yeah, data becomes the 24th century equivalent of Clippy. Clippy. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn it. Um, I noted this too, that uh, as soon as the, the proverbial, you know, uh, 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 excrement hits the fan. Um, why does everybody call the bridge when stuff breaks? Like that—that that can't be a thing. That's a procedure, right? Like it's like I can't turn my <laughs> razor on. Help, bridge! You know, it's like the transporters aren't working. Bridge, help! Oh, uh, we just lost the something manifold bridge. Like there's that chaotic scene where they're all reporting in, and I'm like, aren't there people for that? Like, like yeah, call the help desk. Yeah, yeah, because like even in later episodes of Trek, like. Riker will just spout some of that stuff off that he's clearly pulling up from like a mega list of stuff that's gone Terra bad. And he starts calling out just like the most important stuff. Cause I was like, I was thinking they broke a couple of things and then it, it kind of went nuts. Imagine if they were taking heavy fire from a ship and suddenly everybody's like bridge. Help! <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't think that would, that would work out so well, but uh, you, know, you know, I make another callback here to something in the, the early part. Um, I can't remember where they do it, but I thought it was super odd, and it, and it ties back to an episode two episodes ago. Um, that is another one of these things that seemed weird, I think, only in retrospect. But they immediately think the Ferengi did it, right? They, they, <laughs> they, they call it out, and they're like, well, there have been Ferengi around here, and uh, they could have done this. It's like, really? It's another one of these that just doesn't fit in with that whole arc. Yeah. Uh, but does if you try to see them kind of trying to paint the Ferengi as something more than they are at this point. But yeah. I thought that was really weird. There's, I think there's evidence throughout um, the first half of the first season of that very thing. That, like, clearly one of the notes for, like, season one as a whole was, like, Ferengi underscore gonna be a big deal, you know. Talk about Ferengi. Yeah, because they, they even get a name drop, a name check in the pilot episode, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, when they're talking to, to Groppler Zorn, um, you know, yeah. he says something about like, well, the Ferengi would be very interested in a base like this. And it's like, you know, they don't eat you first or something. And I'm like, there's like this <laughs> this weird thing to just build them into the meta of the universe. And that was that was another one where I was like, Ferengi, whatever. Like that's It's funny now, but in season one, it's like, clear they're trying to make that a thing but um oh i wrote this note down paul specifically for you who's uh who's helping rein in the uh the 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 space lizards and and dogs it's chief o'brien working security i guess like what's he doing 
Yeah. It's, I mean, this is the first time since the pilot we've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like, <laughs> and that's the job that he gets. It's like, it's good to know he's still on the ship, you know, just, just hanging out. Yep. Yep. Just, uh, oh, I wrote this down too. Um, the, we get to see an engineer, yet another, uh, engineer in the cavalcade <sighs> of, of guest star engineers. That's yeah, a revolving door engineering yep. department. Yep. Um, because we had what chief engineer McDougal, um, she was in the Naked Now, and then mm-hmm. we had a different chief engineer. Um, was it the last episode where, where no one has gone before? Um, uh, that would make sense, but I feel like there was one earlier too. Yeah, was it in- uh, I don't even know. And then this guy, assistant chief engineer Singh, and I was like, I kind of dig this guy. Like I was, I was, I was like, okay, he, here's a guy who's, you know, just trying to solve some problems again like all of these engineers seem to be perfectly fine and they either are never heard from again or yeah. in this case he's literally killed for no reason i'm like why the hell did they just kill chief engineer or assistant chief engineer singh like that I, that seemed really strange like it they, feels very original series right it's like gotta kill somebody when you're taking away team somewhere that's true yeah they changed it up, though, right? I mean, he's not wearing a red shirt, so you just didn't see it coming, but even though is, you've killed off. He is wearing shirts. a yellow shirt, and yellow is the yep. new red in TNG. Yeah, it's a similar degree. Because, <laughs> like, that's actually, that's literally the change that they made, is that gold used to be command, red used to be security and engineering, and blue was sciences. Blue is still the sciences, but red and gold flip for no apparent reason in the next generation. Red is command, and, and gold is security and engineering, so... He's and if you wear a Cosby sweater, you are a student. Correct. Like Wesley. <laughs> okay, I assume we, that's what that means. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about Wesley's sweater because uh, we did a lot last time, and he's wearing the same one. So Is he wearing the literal same sweater? It's is the it? same sweater. It is the same sweater. Wes, change your clothes, bro. Come I on. mean, like, is, does he... It, I, well, the question is, is it, is it like, you know, is it like a Ronald McDonald thing? He opens up the closet and he just has 20 of that same sweater? <laughs> or is it just that, like, a week has passed and, like, he's gone through some other sweaters and now he's just wearing that same sweater again? Yeah, yeah. He's I think the only it's... one that really gets a wardrobe change in a lot of the first season, right? I mean, yeah. you yeah. saw the dress uniforms at the beginning, but that's really the only time you see them in anything else. It's not like they're walking around their nightwear like in later seasons man and can i say nobody seems to care about those dress uniforms no they put them on and then the the antigans and the other ones come on and they're just like "Mm, show me your your places and then they immediately have them off again regular uniforms yep Yep. i mean they could be wearing their you know their dress space robes those you know the the cellae i don't know who knows what they look (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's fair they could have been spruced up too yeah (laughs) um i i thought it was weird that uh when the the one attempt that they make to try to tie these two plot elements together is when stuff starts really going weird on the Enterprise and breaking down and they're trying to solve the mystery while this alien being is wreaking havoc um, they go to the Antikins and they're like do you guys have anything to do with it? Like, I mean, it's like, it seemed like a really weird conversation to have with visiting delegates you know, where it's like, what have you guys been up to? Like, you do it? The space dogs that can't even fly themselves to Parliament are sabotaging your <laughs> ship. Like I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean they could have filled like they could have filled a, a, like a Jeffrey tube with fish or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be the trick, right? That would be the weird thing they did and be like, oh, I didn't realize that was important. I mean, the only technology they seem to possess is that weird glowy, you know, animal control rod that they catch Riker in later. Yeah, yep, so it's yep, like. Yep. They obviously are not doing this. <laughs> yeah, when I when I saw that, I wrote down the note. Uh, you know, world's tiniest lightsaber. Check like that's. It, yeah, <laughs> it really does look like. <laughs> it looks like a glow rod, actually. Kind of like they just tied it around a pole. Yeah, <laughs> the prop. That's what the prop actually probably was. Yes. Yeah. Um, by so by the time we get to the point where Chief Engineer Singh is dead, um, I I, I think what they were trying to do was like up the stakes at that point because <laughs> I mean I don't know seemingly at that point it was like people are like I don't know stuff's breaking but Picard was the only one who has been out of shape about it which I also found kind of funny everybody's like I don't know it was probably this and then he's like well I want some answers and I was like yeah everybody else should probably want some answers too but whatever um, but then once the uh, engineer Singh dies then um, data gets into the investigation and I wrote this in all caps because I was like, here it is, 
this is the genesis of Data's weird <laughs> Sherlock Holmes fetish. Like, yeah, this is the one. This is where it comes from. This yep. is the episode where where it all starts. Like, can we just queue up some deep sighs on on a soundboard somewhere so I don't have to keep deep sighing when we talk about Data and Sherlock Holmes? Oh, do you not like that particular plot? I like it Holmes? later, but here it is horrible. <laughs> and, well, and he's suddenly able to do contractions now as Sherlock Holmes. That's, Which, did he? That's, yeah. Come on. I didn't yeah, catch that. He did. Yep. Oh. Yep. It's elementary, my dear Riker. Later, I feel like they do a better job of of explaining it away, or at least contextualizing it enough. So you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But but it seems like every time Data like investigates something, or even like goes so far as like acting or adopting a persona, suddenly his communication and mastery of human emotion are on point, right? Yep. But when yep. he's himself, you know, then he's the emotionless android and it's like why doesn't he just adopt a character who has emotional clarity like that's I, I have I have like a chicken in the egg question about this Sherlock thing do you think Brent Spiner walked into the writer's room one day and just said guys I do such a good Sherlock Holmes impression you should totally write this in or is this just like a happy accident where they're like this guy does tons of impressions and he's actually well sort of good at it sometimes <laughs> what do you think? How do you think this came about? <laughs> oh man! It, you know what? It takes us back to I, oh God, was it last episode that, we, that um, Burns brought up this point of like you go to a friend's house or something and they have something to show you, and we 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 resolved it to be like the jump to conclusions mat from Office Space, and like yeah. and like how do you tell your friend that it's not really good without? hurting her feelings like would that have been the conversation in that writer's room that Brent Spider comes in it's like hey guys check out this Sherlock Holmes and they're like oh yeah sure try try it out yeah, so yeah it's it's, it goes <laughs> well and it continues um it continues this theme in uh Star Trek in general but TNG really specifically of for me the confusing thing is always why is a 24th century culture completely hung up on 19th century earth like there there's so much um there's so much emphasis on like classical music classical works of literature shakespeare um you know sherlock holmes that there's there's all this stuff that i i continually like wonder like there's there's no throwbacks to like more contemporary stuff. I feel like they made that choice because it's like that would date it, right? Like if people were always like, "Hey, remember in the '80s?" Like you know, now looking back on that, we'd go, eh, "That's a little weird." And you can't do anything, you know, before or, or sorry, after when the the show was done because that's the future and you can't predict the future. But like, why they specifically call out, you know, the quote unquote classics is is. It just seems weird the more you think about it in terms of what the 24th century would be fixated on. I mean, I don't know. Did one of the did one of the writers just have a history degree? Just <laughs> really wanted to really wanted to use it. Yeah, almost certainly, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I to answer your question, I think it's probably more of it's it has to be something that probably came from Brent Spiner. I think um, whether it was something in passing where he's like, "Hey guys, you know, I do this." Like, you know, stuff happens organically, and Brent Spiner, from what I've heard and like seen in like outtakes and stuff was kind of a like a prankster on set and would goof around a lot and so that seems like something that very naturally by the sixth fifth or sixth episode they'd pick up on and be like i don't know let's throw that in there and see if it works um and it's kind of cute i mean paul i'll disagree with you a little bit like i i was i was grinning a little bit i was like oh that's it's kind of funny because it continues the fish out of water uh, thing for data where he's clearly taking it too far and just doesn't have the presence to, to be able to sense that. I, I, I could kind of relate with you on that, that maybe if I try to get myself more in the shoes of watching this through the first time and not knowing what data is like later and the lengths that data goes to, to, um, to have emotion later, mm-hmm. um, many, many seasons out. And, and here, like, if it really was like Data is trying a lot of different things to try to appear human. And this is clearly, like, him trying on something and 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 maybe even soliciting feedback and saying, like, does this make me more human or something? Or Jordy saying, like, hey, hey, I like your, your Sherlock, but, you know, tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Like, we're not all that crazy. And then him saying, like, oh, oh, okay, like... I just I would I just tried to be like a character in a book. Yeah. 
like uh, even something like that, as simple as that, would make it seem like it wasn't data; it was a facade he was putting on. I think that's the disconnect for me. There, there's a point where um, you know the, all this stuff. I, I would say the first half of the episode for me, I was kind of, I was struggling a little bit. I was like, mm-hmm, this episode. I mean, come on. But the point where um, the alien jumps from the helm into Picard um, and where Picard becomes the central carrier for the alien, um, several things happen which make it actually kind of an interesting episode. Um, specifically, I, I, I wrote this down because I was like, you know, this wouldn't have worked. This plot device wouldn't have worked as well in later seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation when the relationships between Picard and the rest of the crew are more, um, I'll say, more familiar, you know? Um, Because in this, they're still all kind of afraid of him. He's still kind of a hard-ass, you know? And the alien entity kind of cleverly uses that to distance Picard away from the crew, and they're trying to figure out, like, I mean, we think he's he's messed up. We think he's got the thing, but I mean, can we be sure? I mean, definitely. They, they wait entirely too long. To, I mean, they just don't do anything. Yeah. Your captain's acting super strange. Like, there's got to be Starfleet protocols for that kind of stuff. Well, and in later seasons, there is, but they're just, I don't know. <laughs> they the, really don't act on anything. The weirder part is that they try, right? That, that meeting where Riker and Beverly go to, um, you know, his office and they're like, hey, we want you to go down to medical and get checked out because we think you're acting strange. And like, and the rest of the like, the rest of the main crew thinks you're acting strange. And he more or less says, you know what? No, <laughs> like, go yeah. back to your jobs. <laughs> Just this isn't happening this way, and you can't do anything about it. And maybe even tips his hand that like, I'm kind of an alien now. And they just. They just say like, well, I guess we tried, and they just leave. <laughs> well, the the thing that I think was that that this episode tried to frame that on, and I don't know. I mean, it kind of worked for me, but I don't know how well it adheres to like what they would do later on. Is um, this one really leans on the chain of command, right? Uh, because they yeah. um, their whole their whole like tentativeness to get involved in this is they think that he might be. But what I thought was really compelling is other than telling the ship to reverse course and make these a-hole aliens late for a meeting that they can probably be late for, um, he hasn't done anything super weird. And and the the part where he says, you know, where he's talking to Troy and he says, you know, do you believe that a, sh- that a ship's captain has to explain every order? Like, I, I felt all the the refuting that he did for the things that they, they said were convincing enough where I was thinking along the lines of like, if I was in their shoes, I don't know if I'd be comfortable just pulling the the nuclear option. Because at that point, that's all they have left. Like if you doubt your captain, it's either mutiny or you've got to have this very strict procedure of, you know, classifying the captain as not of sound mind and judgment. And I, I think they were, that scene where they were all together, like literally comparing notes was kind of telling for me because they kind of came up and they're like, we don't have much of a case yet. Like we've got to keep an eye on him, but you know, what can we do? Well, and there's, there were pieces to put together here. And, and I mean, I'll agree with that to some large, um, large degree. The, the fact that I think they left a lot out, right? They left out that like Worf had lost time and then Beverly has a big chunk of lost time. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what did she do? She went over here, and like, if they followed that, that you know, that like chain of custody of this this missing time, and the, the starting with Worf, like something weird happened now, similar to the Naked Now, like who has he been in contact with, and and work your way through that that situation, and like, well, when is it the captain started acting weird? It's right after Beverly stopped acting weird, and like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the typical like the typical Starfleet answer for this is something that they didn't at all do, which is um, 
in later episodes, I think they would be immediately fixated on how do we detect when someone has this thing? Like, they don't even have that conversation, which really struck me as weird. Like, they're literally hanging on Data's crappy, like, impersonation of Sherlock Holmes and deductive reasoning and some kind of behavioral analysis and then um, and then Troy going, like, there's a duality. And that's it. <laughs> Can I just say, like, Troy has been... In, what is it, six, five, six episodes? In six episodes, like, they touched really hard at the beginning that, like, she's here and she's basically can read, almost read minds and, like, can talk to some people in their minds. And then they just kind of completely forgot about that. Or put her in situations where that sort of power would be really, really useful, like, way too useful that they have to just be like, well, what, what about this thing that completely nullifies your powers? Yep. Yeah, and this is exactly like you said. That duality stuff was just like, ugh. Yeah. Like, what can you actually sense? Like, it's, is she is she basically like like a um, she's just cold reading the crew or something? <laughs> like, is that what her power is? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, oh, what was that show? Crossing over or something? Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of with uh, John Edwards. John, yeah. Oh God. Um, that's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> they they like uh, yeah. She she's there obviously for for a reason and then yeah every time she just she comes up short and and it's kind of it reminded me a lot of like <laughs> in the writers room the discussions must have been very similar to the discussions that ten years old ten year olds have when they're playing pretend laser tag and it's like oh, I shot you oh I shot you no you can't because I got this invulnerability <laughs> shield oh you know it's like it all comes across as that because it's like normally. Troy just has the ability to do that, but every time dramatically they they take it away from her for some really weird tacked on reason. And and this one was the most tacked on where she's like, I don't know, you're all like weird people in your heads. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. So we get to the 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 part of the episode that that um the resolution, I guess, for this episode is I'm still scratching my head on that one. <laughs> oh man, I have so many questions. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you guys have have you guys both seen uh, both of the the Star Trek reboot films, the J.J. Abrams films. Yes. Oh yeah. So there's a critique that that a plot device <clears throat> that happens in the first uh, film it, it inevitably kind of unravels the entirety of like Trekdom because it gives them a power that they would naturally a just continue to use and b it would invalidate like starships and starfleet and everything. it's like the transwarp beaming thing right yep. so some of this also is in play i think in terms of like how they play super loosey goosey with how the transporter works oh yeah in this one and i'm just like i mean they could save so many people's lives now i wrote down <laughs> Did they just clone Picard? Yeah, they with the transporter. Yep. Now let me. Okay, let me walk through how I think I you kind of rationalize your way out of this a little bit, right? Yeah. So well, you've got Picard and the energy creature, right? Yep. Yep. And they go into the teleporter, and th- this is the way they kind of explain it away, right? Is they beam him out as energy into space, but. Like, oh, at that point, like, Picard couldn't handle that or something. Well, so he's still, like, yeah, he turns into an energy creature. Yeah, to back it up even further, though, like, the the whole... It got really weird really fast because not only was this creature inhabiting Picard, but the assertion from the episode, and I'm still not 100% clear if that's right or if that was just the alien being an a-hole, like... Apparently the alien was like, yeah, we're bros now and we both like exploring and he's all like, I want to be energy. And I was like, that's sweet because I'm already energy. So we want to beam ourselves out into space. And that's, See, that felt like, I mean, that felt like a lie to me, like a pretty clear lie. Well, but maybe only because, yeah, I, I don't know. That's hard to pull apart. You're it, right. It, it, it's just, it's the way it's presented. They're not, you know, there, there's no, there's no resolution point to that one. I mean, I'm sure it is a lie. But the thing that I the thing that that I kept coming back to is, well, why would the thing lie about that? If it just wanted to get home, it would be pretty capable of doing so on its own, right? Like they would just fly into the cloud, it would leave Picard and go back out the ship. So the the 
the motivation for the alien creature to like s- literally steal Picard doesn't exist because if that thing's story isn't right, why would he just want to abduct Picard? You know, like that, th- that whole part of it for me was a real head scratcher because the creature had no limitation of moving throughout the ship. It had no limitation jumping from host to host. It conceivably had no limitation of jumping back out the ship once it was close enough to its own cloud. Literally all it needed was a lift home so the Picard angle for me was like, wait, that's not that's not true, is it? Like, that can't be true. I mean, but, you're making a good case. Yeah. So that was the part for me that I was like, and they just don't resolve it. They just walk right past it. But anyway, continue. So that leads up to this whole transporter scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they beam them both out, and then Picard's trapped as an energy creature outside. And then they're like, oh, I could, well, yeah, this is where they use Troy. She's like, I could still sense his mind. And... Then they're like, well, I guess we still have his body in the cloner. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, maybe if we like make another Picard body, his his mind will go back in it. Yep. That's that's. It's, am I reading the resolution that they sold us correctly? Yeah, and it's posed. What I loved about it the most was it was posed as this brazen revolutionary theory on Data's behalf. Like he's just like, wait there's still a chance follow me and it's literally just like we got his body here hopefully he'll go back into it when we beam it back in and it's like that's your theory that's how you're gonna do this 3d print a body yep yep so i mean how do we think the transporter works in this show is really the central question of like how this would actually work because tom this this is ridiculous yeah tom i gotta (laughs) ask you how nerdy do you want this to get? Full on. I mean, listen, Mac, turn it to eleven, man. I want all the nerd. How about how about I start with a what I think from? I, I don't know because I think, and then you'll go a step above. So I think the way that I've always read Star Trek teleporters is they like scan you, kill you, make you somewhere else. Yep, pretty much. Yep. So. Here's how they explain, because they actually use this phrase. And when I heard that, it stuck in my brain like a hot poker. And I was like, that is not how that works. Like, that is not, they specifically established that that does not work later. Um, Probably because of this episode. And somebody went, oh, crap, we can infinitely 3D print people. Uh, We got to not be able to do that. Um, So later, in... Star Trek lore, they established that the transporter is a super-duper high-capacity scanner. Um, It is a matter deconstructor and a matter recompiler. And the thing that allows you to be whisked away is that you're essentially, your pattern is stored within what they call a pattern buffer for reconstitution on either transporter pad. And then it's sent wirelessly and you're you're ka-chong, destroyed over there and ka-chong, you arrive over there. Like, that's how it works. In order to 3D print Picard, they basically are like, well, his pattern's still in the buffer because he was the last guy out. And there's a specific episode later in season six called Relics where they discover um, Scotty. Um, oh, and, yeah, yeah. and they bring him back in a similar fashion. But that one is miraculous because they clearly establish that pattern buffers, buffers do not work that way. Like you have... Like, the moment that it happens, you have, like, a small window of time before that pattern starts to degrade. And if a long enough timeline continues, and it's, like, minutes, I think. It's, like, literally minutes. And and so I'm looking at this, and they don't bring any of that into the conversation. And so it seemed like too much time had passed for me where they wouldn't be able to reconstruct him. And, and I'm just going, like, man, they sort of opened Pandora's box on this one because... The transporter is kind of one way. They didn't reconstitute him on the other end. They they can't rebuild him again. Like they can't just, you know. But but whatever. It, it's also a weird statement about like if you have his pattern, like why do you even need this this weird mind part that's floating out there? Right. Like don't you just still have his brain? Well, and that was the yeah, part that should be part of it. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Realist. Yeah. That was the part of it that was like like really metaphysic kind of like nonsense yeah, super stuff. Hand-wavy. Yeah, where I was like, "Well, we need to combine his energy." I was like, "Guys, <laughs> no, <laughs> no." And, and like, if you've got a giant nerd like me shaking my head, going like, uh, "I don't well, think so." Yeah, it, it felt very. Uh, if you watch the Venture Brothers, either no, 
Yep. Right, listener, okay. listener, single listener, maybe who watches the Venture Brothers. <laughs> it feels like Hank and Dean Venture, right? So the, the idea is there's it's this super scientist and his kids, and his kids die a lot, so he keeps a lot of clones around. Um, <laughs> like that's that's basically what it feels like. But yeah. I, I don't know. Part of it might be that they're still working on, and this goes back to the first episode. They talk about the holodeck. They're like, well, we got teleporters and we got like replicators and stuff. And they haven't made that distinction, so it, it yeah. feels like. It feels like they're thinking about them as the same device, and that well, that's how a replicator works, right? You just mm-hmm. we have a, a, a picture of meat, and then we press a button, and then we have meat. Yeah. So, so I, and in later seasons, they do get into like, well, why can't we replicate this? And they're like, well, that's way too complex. They might even do that in the naked now, right? Yeah, because they need to make some of the cure. And they're like, can you replicate it? And they're like, well, no, it's too complex. We need to like make it a different way or something. I might yeah. be thinking the wrong episode, but no, that you're thinking about uh, Code of Honor, and yes, they. That's oh why yeah, they yeah, yeah. Get the vaccine. Yep, yep. yep, that's what it is. So, and this is um, this is the thing that's really hard, I think, to to be a Star Trek fan. Is this is the, the other series have this too, but Star Trek to almost more of a degree than anybody else. When you start reaching the point where you have technology which is near magical in the way that it works. And and transporters and replicators are both quasi-magical, right? Like they're just, it's a way to literally teleport a person from here to there. And it's a way to literally create something where nothing existed. I mean, obviously they're using energy and what have you, but it's like, huh, stuff, right? Every one of those elements that you create in a dramatic show has the capacity to completely destroy the opportunity for drama in in realistic human ways. Because if you create an Omni device that can solve every problem, you then would just naturally use that Omni device to solve every problem, sucking the tension straight out of the room. Um, And Ron Moore, who became a a writer on TNG long after um, the episodes that we're watching now, right around season three, um, he also helmed the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And he was talking about the episode where, um, and I don't know if either of you guys watch Battlestar, but it's the episode oh, yeah. where, where Starbuck was lost on the planet, right? Where she went down, her Viper went down, and they had to do this extensive search for her on this desert planet. Um, he talked about how that was a really important episode early on because he said the Star Trek problem would be they would have to write pages of gobbledygook about how the transporter doesn't work and the sensors don't work because their technology is advanced so much that they can locate a single person amongst an entire planet and instantly beam them back to the ship. And he said this was this was a case for us to show that our show is different because they don't have that. It's 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 dirtier, it's lower tech. They're using like visual scanning and stuff and they just they don't have enough time because it's a big planet. They're having a hard time finding her. And this this episode here at the end is is um, like that, you know, where it's like, well, I don't know. We can just turn him into energy. I don't know. Let's bring him back. You know, and it's like, what? <laughs> what? That, that's not dramatic. <laughs> like, it's not that interesting, really. I don't think anyway. Yeah. And it's the same Troy problem that we talked about. Right, they made her too powerful, just like a teleport. <laughs> yeah, and yep. then you got to come up with weird stuff of why she doesn't work either. Then they had to like, nerf her back down, man. Just just got nerfed that that power. It's it's just Troy two point Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, I guess that's pretty much it. Although, <laughs> well, I'll save this because this is actually this is I can't tell if it's my worst or best. So I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna save it. But before we move on to the wrap up and the worst and best and, and recommendations, uh, anybody else have anything that they want to talk about about this episode? Nope. Those uh, those lizard people, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says everything <laughs> right there. I I kind of like the the lizard people. I do too, actually, They're, more and more. They're cool. They're like, you know, future space Slytherin, basically. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with that? That's Good cool. call. Good call. Yeah. Joining universes here. We actually, I don't know who the Andikins would be. I, I don't know, Hufflepuff or something? Then they have like a bear or a dog or something. They're, they're space Hufflepuff, totally. Yeah. yeah. We spent more time so, with the, the dog people than we did the lizard people. I kind of wish it would have been the other way around. Maybe, maybe the lizard people yeah, were totally cool guys. Their makeup was significantly worse, in my opinion. I mean, the Anakin's like they couldn't move their head around at all. They're they're they just didn't emote at all. But the the lizard dudes seem I don't know they seem cooler. Yeah. I wonder if either one will ever come back. <laughs> the answer to that question <laughs> is no. Uh, no, they will not. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, 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 Tom. Um, 
Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, sorry. Um, since you're our <laughs> guest, our honored guest, uh, what you get to start first. Best moments, worst moments. Or moments, okay. I should say. So I, this is like one of the few things I even remember about this episode from when I was a kid before I rewatched it. Um, when Space Energy Picard is outside the ship and they're going like, how do we know if he's even there? You know, is he coming back in the ship? Like, what? he's, he's energy now. What do we do? He puts a P on the console. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I, I P for Picard. So <laughs> and they literally like, turn to each other and ask the question. They're like, P for Picard? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and they're, they're questioning each other like, oh, is that what that means? It's like, well, come on, guys. Come on. There's a P. Obviously. Have you ever seen that happen before? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even think the consoles work that way. They don't have like a screen like that. They're just buttons and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I just I love that so much <laughs> <laughs> ha, I get it P for Picard yes another stunning revelation good work so that was uh, that was the best moment then there, that was um, yeah I mean worst moment I'm not sure the I, I really think it was super lazy that the planet is called Parliament I mean that is just yeah. ridiculous <laughs> turbo lazy <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean you know it, Maybe there's, you know, th- this is a big, you know, galaxy. There's just tons of planets. We'll just make that one. You know, nothing on that planet. That's just the one where we take people to let them, you know, settle their differences. Sure, whatever Star Trek, but that it just felt lazy. Name it something cooler. Put it like a number at the end or something. You know, yeah. I don't know. Parliament's ninety nine. Like, whoa, that sounds amazing. Sounds better. Yeah, Ar- already hundred percent better. <laughs> Paul, uh, best worst moments. Moment. Ah. I, I'm really struggling for a best. I, it might be the it might be the the humor that they really sort of injected with the with the two uh, the lizard people and the, the I guess we're calling them dog people now, um, or maybe maybe even at the end where the resolution of it is so um, comical that it's just like, well, we still have to deal with these guys, and <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Hope somebody else does. Like, mm-hmm. and Picard just leaves. Um, I don't know. That might be the best. That might be the best thing in there. Um, the I mean, at the end, one of them does eat one of, like one of the Antigans does eat the delicate from yes. Salish. Yes. What, yeah, that seems like a problem. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if that was my best or worst. I'll, I'll select another one. But they literally ah, th- they get done rematerializing Picard, and they have a conversation where Yar turns to Riker and says, a pool of blood was just found outside of one of their, you know, and now so-and-so just ordered supplies for eating, you know, and it's very clear they're like, that guy just (laughs) ate that guy. And what does Picard do? Picard be like, Riker, deal with it. I just just got turned back into a man. I think that was my favorite part. That's... (laughs) gotta be it but it's just like Picard Picard's like man I went through a lot today yeah <laughs> you just I'm Picard B now <laughs> you realize that technically yeah. yep so um my worst I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit like like I didn't like data I think the stuff at the teleporter is really damaging so I don't know. I think as I dig deeper, if I try to look for something else that's worse deeper, um, there's a weird like the statistician in me um, doesn't like some of the um, the underlying idea that that two worlds so close to each other would have developed life at the same stages because um, that's something they kind of paint as a picture across Star Trek that there are there's this generic pool of worlds that are less developed. There's a much smaller pool of worlds that are more developed, and then there's a ton of worlds that are all basically um, worlds that uh, are evolved on their own, that are basically all at the same level of tech, which from a, a standpoint of, of civilizations rising and falling would just be really, really unlikely to the yeah. point of impossibility. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I mean, that, that's really getting nitpicky, but... Um, it's just something it's it's weird and you see it a lot but i think it's really on scale here where you have like well these lizard people are clearly not at all related to these dog people and they're both at basically the same level um in the same star system in the same yeah yeah, in the same star system Um, well what if they were both from the same planet would that change your opinion of that at all 
fun. If they, I mean, if they were, if it was like dog people and eight people or something, like, I don't know, it's got to be a little closer than wizards. And unless, unless you're saying, and they kind of do come back to this much, much later that like there was a hand in seeding these worlds or something like well, that. Yeah. That, 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 that's a major problem. I think for a lot of the show when they sort of try to explain what, yeah, and, and why all the races are sort of similar. Yeah, yeah. and why everyone's weird, humanoid. <laughs> and that's a weird trying to patch it up later. And we'll get to that episode in a long time from now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that problem is starting to show itself right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start with uh, I'll start with my worst moments. Um, <laughs> like they just keep playing fast and loose with what that uh, alien creature is capable of so much so that like, well, the, the resolution as a whole at the end is my worst part. But like specifically, there's a point where uh, Picard is like, haha, this is my plan and this is what I'm going to do. And we want to be space bros forever as energy <laughs> deal with it. And then they, t- they try to stop him like they literally th- and then he just puts his hands down on the consoles and he like force lightnings. I think the entire ship is oh, the yeah. implication. Yeah, like, he gets the teleport. Yeah, he gets the teleport, and the guy's on the ground electrocuted. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, it blinds them for some reason. Yeah, it, it also, yeah, it, it blinds them. It stops them and paralyzes them, and apparently also knocks them out in key locations where it's inconvenient to have someone to stop you. <laughs> well, it, it's also weird because earlier, like people observed the electricity jumping from, or it was at least there. And it's like, oh, is that electricity just for the viewer's benefit? Like, it's clear that that electricity is not something that the crew is seeing when it happens. Uh, right. Jordy can definitely see it. Okay, Jordy, okay, Jordy might be the only one with his visor. But then it's like, well, then what is happening when he's doing that at the end? Like, are they seeing nothing and they're just standing there shaking? Like, what is actually happening? <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's it, don't think about that too long. <laughs> don't, don't let it occupy your time. I, I also, though, um, one silver lining there, the the awkward line that Worf has during during that whole exchange. <laughs> Bro, he's not going to let you. Like, that's clearly what the lightning is all about. Like, that's... <laughs> he does not want you to help him. <laughs> but uh, my best moment uh, in this was... Um, there... <laughs> it was actually kind of a cool scene between uh, the assistant engineer and uh, Wes. They had a nice moment where um, Wesley really helps him, like, solve a problem. Like, really, really helps him solve a problem. Like, they're... I think they're trying to get the engines back online after it got nuked by the the thing when it was jumping around from system to system. Um, and then, you know, the engineer jumps in and he says, wow, great, thanks a lot, Wes. I'll, I'll take it from here. And then, you know, Wes is like, I, well, I, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep helping. And, like, he literally sends him back to school. And what I thought was cool about that was, like, it was... Um, it was a nice bit of character development because this is the episode right after Wesley got assigned regular officer duties. He's got like the acting yep. ensign rank. And this is clearly like a nod to like, okay, they're trying to bring him into the fold. They're actually having him help out and do real stuff, but he's going to have a hard time balancing like, you know, that and school and being a kid. And, and I think it's a nice bit to like really help the Wesley character feel more real that he's like, he is this super genius kid on the ship, but he's still got to do kid stuff. And, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it, it paints the picture of the ship as this place where, you know, now he's, he's one of them, but they're all kind of looking after him. You know, they're all like, no, you, you got to go do your school now, man. Come on, do your, do your schoolwork. Um, I thought that was a nice scene. Um, yeah, so, I kind of so, forgot about that scene actually. Yeah, and then they kill him. Then they kill Chief Engineer Singh. <laughs> <laughs> not Wesley. No. <laughs> yeah, not Wesley. No. Um, but then they just clone him. It's fine. They clone him. Yeah, they've got another pattern in the buffer. It's cool. They got patterns for days. Um, so the million dollar question about this is: uh, we ask us at the end of, of of the show if you're a newbie um, and you have a friend who's getting ready to get into track, do we recommend this episode or do we say this is advanced users only? <laughs> <laughs> for for this, um, Thomas, <laughs> what do we you call say? Him Bill? Why don't we call him Bill? Bill, yeah. Don't <laughs> like call Troy. nobody calls anybody Bill, <laughs> except for Troy in that one episode. Damn yeah. Troy. Troy. I mean, you could call me Imzadi, I guess. <laughs> like if you want to be real casual with it. <laughs> oh, I'll yeah. call you Muadib. 
<laughs> <laughs> because Paul has made that mistake a couple of times, actually. Oh, it hasn't been a mistake. I just really like to think that Troy is living in the Dune universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was the one time where they were legitimately confused. <laughs> no, because the one time I said uh, Muhajin. Oh, Muhajin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, what do we think? So recommend or, or skip? There's definitely some episodes before this where it's just like, you got to skip them. you got to skip Naked Now. you yep. got to skip Code of Honor, probably. Um, I guess you're in, you know, you just have to watch Encounter at Farpoint, I guess. Yep. Um, right after watching where no one has gone before, like, this episode is not nearly as good as that episode. <laughs> so I would probably say, eh, skip it, you know, get to Hiding Cue or something, like, jump around this one's skippable even with that really cool space energy picard storyline <laughs> and wesley's cool sweater and his cool sweater. but there's plenty of other opportunities for cool wesley's sweater later so maybe that's why this one is very he looks like velma from scooby-doo like that sweater oh looks exactly like that yeah well, maybe that's why he has the same sweater maybe he, that is a clone and they just like 3d printed him the same he's, cos- he's future cosplaying <laughs> Nice. Paul, what say you? Uh, watch or skip? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, uh, you make a good case there that, like, I, I probably am more wishy-washy on this than some of the others that are maybe as bad, but, like, we kind of talked about in the last one that I think if you watch Farpoint and then where no one has gone before, you probably have the hooks in you. Um, and it might be the case that it's after a pretty good episode that you want to sneak in one of these bad ones. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't know. This is still not a great episode. And, and one of the main things that, I, that I've been saying a lot with these ones that are skippable that I, really does seem to be a problem in this first season is that it's not only bad, it's damaging to a certain thing. And I think this one is damaging to what the limits of a teleporter are. Yeah. Um, and if you start to get too close to that line, which I, I think, I mean, I don't know if they're on the right side of this line, but if you start to get too close to that, especially as someone new, you're going to get those questions of like, well, hey, why don't they just like 3D print people when they're in trouble? Or like, if they know they're going to be in a risky spot or they like send an away team somewhere that's super risky, why don't they just like hold those patterns? And then like, if one of them dies, just reprint them and they lost a few hours, but they're still alive. Like, these are questions that, are legit after watching this episode. <laughs> yeah, can of worms. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's watchable. I think you got to skip it and and just not let those questions out. <laughs> just bury them, bury them down deep. Don't yeah. let them be a thing. Well, because you're right. Later, they go into much more depth about what the teleporter is actually doing, and and to a large degree, it's probably them themselves, the writers, figuring out what makes it different from a replicator and what makes this different from other um, ways that you could get from, from a place to a place, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's good there's good stuff later, right? Because um, Dr. Uh, Plasky in the second season doesn't like teleporters and goes in, a, goes in depth of why she doesn't. Um, I think Barclay later also doesn't like them, right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. So they go into much greater depth about why a person wouldn't like to be teleported. There's a lot of risks associated with it. Yeah. It's not a 3D printer. <laughs> it's it's not a 3D <laughs> printer. That's that's not how it works. Um, I am gonna go boldly on on this course. I am gonna recommend it with a eh, you know with a grain of salt um, because and, and and here's why. Uh, there's enough stuff that's happening in here which is relevant later on that it's a nice bit of character building for specifically data. Um, I had completely forgotten that this was the episode where, where his Sherlock Holmes things, uh, his Sherlock Holmes thing comes from. And that's, it's a really important like character piece because he, that's a legitimate like fascination of his. That's one of his like key doorways into humanity. Um, there's also, um, there's also a couple of, of nice character moments with Wes that I think is a character who, if anything, really, I mean, he needs some some extra loving as far as character development because he kind of, <laughs> he's kind of 
Star Trek's dopey kid brother that a lot of people like to hate on, but he's actually, I mean, he's kind of a nice character, and this mm-hmm. is this is a good episode for him. Um, so I'm, it's it's hokey, it's weird, it falls apart in the end, it's a little slow to get going, but right there in the middle and as it's building up to the end, it actually has all the inklings of, of a decent episode. And this is one where they're pulling things together, they've decluttered the plot enough, it's starting to look like a Star Trek episode, it just happens to be kind of a mediocre one. Um, but there's some good in it that I think is recommendable. I guess if you skipped it, you'd never get to see lizard and bear people. That's dog right. People. Yep. You would also never get to see lizard and, and dog people. And please think of the lizard and dog people. <laughs> so, um, so that's it. That is uh, lonely among us. Uh, I, I want to uh, alternate reality, Jason. I want to thank you for for joining us uh, on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, we'll be back with uh, with another uh, podcast very very soon. Until then, I'm Jason, and I'm Paul. And always keep that 3D printer copy in the pattern buffer. The problem is, is that one of the cooks has just been asked to borrow a reptile for the antiquants, and it looks like the Sully delegate. Riker, what with the peace delegates and all, I think I do need a rest. Take charge, number one. <laughs> <laughs>